Welcome to the Flint Catholic Podcast. My name is Father Tony Smila. And I'm Michael Hasso. Welcome to the very first episode. So we had a first episode recorded, ready to go before, but we didn't feel right about it. We wanted to do this instead. The Holy Spirit was really pushing us in this direction. And we wanted to start off with just one of our main goals for the whole podcast. We want to highlight the good things that are happening in Flint and Genesee County. So we're just going to talk about that and uh, you know, what are the good things we see. So Michael, what are good things you're seeing in Flint happening right now? Yeah, so I think this is something that really doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, you know, you look at a lot of the mainstream media and you don't often hear about the good things that are happening in general, but I think especially in Flint, um, you know, a lot of people look at the negative, but there's so many good things happening here that, that otherwise really aren't seen if, if you're not like on the ground with, yeah. with people. Yep. Um, and so I think for me, one of the big things that I see happening in Flint is I really see the laity, um, kind of starting to take hold and really starting to, uh, I guess, really just seek to minister to God's people here in Flint. Um, you see it on every level. Like, one great example of this is Sister Christina working on the east side out of St. Mary's. Um, you know, it traditionally gets a rap as a pretty bad neighborhood. Um, but there's just so much good work being done by Sister Christina. And truthfully, she has a whole team, as you know, right. of of just really dedicated lay people, um, lots of deacons helping out, um, you know, you, of course. And, and so I see a lot of great things happening on that level where it's like the pieces are starting to get put together where there's some real teamwork happening, um, you know, regardless of the state. Yeah, it's great for me to see too as someone in the clerical state um, to see a lot of lay people coming up and, and saying, taking responsibility um, for the city of Flint as well. Not just It's not just for us to do, um, but it's, it's all of our responsibility to do that. And to, so to see, to see that really happening here is, is very encouraging to me. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say it's refreshing to be a part of that as yeah, well. absolutely. Because, you know, I'll just say that's not the case everywhere, um, but we are seeing a lot of bright spots, so... Yeah. So yeah, it's really cool to see and be a part of. So how about you, Father Tony? What, what, what sort of things are you seeing happen? I know you have a a pretty interesting perspective since you grew up here, but yeah. you're also pretty new here as well. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I did grow up here and um, grew up in the Mott Park neighborhood, uh, just down the street from St. John Vianney. So I'm really close again to my childhood home, which is pretty cool. Um, but it's been 13 years since I lived here. Um, 13 years ago, I left to join the seminary and uh, through the winding road. So I went to Minnesota, then I went to Detroit, and then I uh, spent the last three years as a priest in Ann Arbor. And now I'm here. And um, coming back to Flint has been very cool to um, see all the familiar things that I, that I grew up with. Uh, but in, in a lot of senses, Flint is very different now than it was when I left 13 years ago. And it's a really good thing to see. Um, there's so much more hope I see in the city of Flint. Um, even look at just the in, in the physical way um, in downtown Flint, um, how much uh, downtown Flint has changed and, and for the better. And it looks great down there and there's so many things going on. And really what you're seeing is, I think, uh, a new renewed hope in people that the city actually can rebound, that the city can um, make something of itself after GM left. You know, when 
when I, when I was here, growing up here, there was a lot of hopelessness in the city of Flint. There's a lot of, you know, what do we do now that GM's left? People have left in droves. Um, you know, there's not a lot of money left here in Flint. We can't rebuild. What do we do? And and Flint has really turned around in that way to now there's hope here. Now there's there's something to look forward to in the city of Flint. Flint isn't just going to keep shrinking forever. Yeah. Um, and it's and it is exciting to be a part of of what seems to be a revival in Flint. So there's there's certainly you know a revival in a lot of areas and and now we're part of a spiritual revival happening yeah. in Flint and that's really exciting and that's that's what that gets me very excited about being back here in Flint is being a part of that spiritual revival as the bishop calls it the faith in Flint initiative and yeah. even the diocese sees that that there's a revival happening here and they want to be a part of it yeah definitely and i you know i'll say as somebody that's i would still consider myself relatively new to the area i've only um been living in Flint for just under four years now. Um, and when my wife and I got married and we moved here, that's something that we were actually like really shocked by. Not only, you know, how active the church is in the area, um, not only serving the poor, but also just um, even on a secular level, like when you, when you see like what's happening in downtown Flint and some of the development that's happening, um, you know, it really is quite shocking as an outsider like to, to see some of these changes that are happening. And it's really, it's really cool to see. And, you know, I'll say people that I know that have either stopped by Flint or, you know, they're either passing through or they're new to the area, they'll go through downtown or certain parts of Flint and they'll be like, whoa, I didn't realize this was here or I haven't been here in 30 years and things have really changed. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of good things happening on a lot of different levels here in Flint, yep. for sure. Yep, it's you know we see it in the national media all the time. Anytime Flint is brought up in the national media, it's really negative. It's you know it's 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 a very negative spin on what's going on, and you know that we're just an old rust belt city that you know is falling apart, dilapidated, and and I just don't see that as being the case right now. Um, we're certainly turning the corner and certainly um, building something new here in Flint, and, and the Holy Spirit, I think, is doing the same thing as well. And I think that's something we want to really explore um, as part as a regular part of this podcast is, is how is the Holy Spirit doing something new here? What is actually happening? And we want to highlight those specific people um, that are making that happen as well. Uh, one of those people uh, is someone we'll hear from at the end of this podcast, Father Tom Firestone. He's my pastor here. He's the guy that uh, the bishop has dubbed the Pope of Flint. And yeah. you know, he's got a great vision for Flint, and he's been here for quite actually he's been here long enough that uh, <clears throat> he was my pastor in high school when I uh, was growing <laughs> up. So he's, he's, he's been here a while, and, uh, and so we're very excited to have him as, as the first interview on this podcast. So uh, at the end of the podcast, you'll hear uh, about 15 minutes from, from that interview. I'm pretty excited to interview him. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited as well. He's also my boss, so. That, yeah. you know, that certainly wins me some brownie points That's for right. sure. That's right. Um, or maybe not. I, I guess I don't know how he feels about it. Depends on how you ask the questions, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so yeah, that'll, that'll be really good to hear from Father Tom. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm just so excited for what, what the Holy Spirit's doing in this city, what he's doing in the church here. Um, and, you know, to, to what you were saying, too, about the Faith in Flint initiative and and just everything that's going on, like, I really, I really do believe that I think our bishop and people throughout the diocese really, really see just 
just a little spark of what's happening here. You know, they don't they don't necessarily get the on the ground boots on the ground sort of view. But I think people are seeing it and even like, you know, the partnership that we call the Catholic community of Flint, um, even that is a witness and testimony yeah. to that as well. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for what God's doing here. There's one more thing we wanted to touch on before uh, we move on to the next segment. And that, uh, I think it was two days ago, it was uh, announced that the Pope is going to be releasing a new encyclical on October 3rd. He'll be in Assisi to promulgate the encyclical, and you have to say it this way, Fratelli Tutti. And, and when you say it, you have to use your hands, right? Yeah. In the, in the good old Italian way, Fratelli Tutti, which means all brothers. Uh, so that's the Italian name for all brothers. And uh, looking forward to that. So we'll hopefully, um, by uh, the next podcast after that is released, uh, we'll, we'll uh, let you in on what we think are the important parts. We'll have a conversation about it and go from there. Yeah, I'm excited. It's been, I know... Uh, Pope Francis' first encyclical in a few years, and so I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Yep, same here. So this will be the section of the podcast where we give the, the local announcements for the area. First, a diocesan announcement. Bishop Boyer has extended the dispensation for the Sunday obligation until November 28th. St. Mary's in Flint is hosting a weekly holy hour to pray for Flint. This is on Thursdays from 2.30 to 3.30 p.m. This will include a rosary and divine mercy chaplet. Please come and pray for Flint. And now we've got an update from Father Joe. All right, and I have a special guest here, Father Joe Krupp, and he's just going to give us a quick update on his church building projects. So tell us about uh, what the update is. Oh, thank you, Padre. Uh, uh, we're over here at Holy Family, and uh, about uh, a year ago, we started a massive renovation where basically we tore down, tore down about three-quarters of the church. We left what was the sanctuary there, although it won't be the sanctuary in the rebuild. Um, that will now be the gathering area. And we flipped the whole church so that the altars in the east, we were able to preserve and save all the stained glass windows. Uh, it, it's gonna be crazy. It is, it's gonna be beautiful. All right, so where, where about in the project are you right now? Uh, well, what last we heard, uh, we're hoping, hoping, hoping to be done in the beginning of December. All right. Uh, COVID really slowed us down. Sure. We lost about four months. Uh, oh, but man. Uh, God, we're bouncing back and we're very excited. Uh, I believe it. I believe it. Well, thank you for the update. Oh, of course. Great to be here on this podcast. I love you. Thank you. Yep. And if you know of any events or any good things happening in Flint that you would like us to share in this podcast, please contact us and let us know. You can send us an email from the main website, anchor.fm slash flintcatholic. Again, that website is anchor.fm slash flintcatholic. Also, if you have any theological questions you'd like us to address on the podcast, you can send us a voice message on the main website as well. And you could hear yourself asking the question on the podcast. So we look forward to hearing from you. Hello and welcome to the interview show. We've got a great interview lined up for you today. We've got my pastor, Father Tom Firestone. Yeah, and we're so excited for you guys to hear this. This is our very first interview. We just finished recording this, and I know you guys are in for a treat. I know for me, you know, even even working for Father Tom, talking to him regularly, there was definitely some new stuff here that I've that I've never really heard before about where Flint's headed, um, and some of the things that are 
going on, a little bit of the history behind, um, you know, the Catholic community of Flint and just where things are headed right now. So yeah. here it is. Here we go. So here is the interview without further ado. We are so proud to be joined here today by the Pope, not the Pope in Rome, of course, but uh, the Pope of Flint. And that's what the bishop called you. Is that correct? Sorry to say, but that's correct. He, <laughs> he thinks it's really funny. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny, too. We're here with Ta Father Tom Firestone, and we're very excited to, to have you on as the very first interviewee for the podcast. And so we just want to start from the very beginning. Um, What's your vocation story? What made you want to be a priest? Actually, when I was a small child, I, I liked playing priest, and I thought I'd like to be a priest. And I had a lot of time in church because my father was so sick. My mom would take me to daily mass, and I'd play in the back of the church with my tools and plays, you know, John Deere tractor and my little grace cars and stuff. And that's what I would do in the back of the church. And that's pretty much, that began a kind of a, a fascination with the reality of a church and with being a priest. Um, I went to public school though my whole life, um, and uh, I didn't get a chance to really do any Catholic education until I went to Xavier University. I went there to play football. And in the back of my mind, uh, I kind of let it go during high school, but in the back of my mind, being around these Jesuit priests, uh, I, it, it kind of reinvigorated that understanding of priesthood. So I said, I'm going to give it a try. And Besides that, my elbows were all skinned up, and my knees were killing me from football, and uh, I knew I couldn't make a career there. I was just going to be crippled is all I was going to be. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I decided to give it a try. And that's really, honest to God, that's the way I decided to go in, just give it a try. I was going to go into the Glen Mary Missionaries because I had a cousin who was a nun, and she was in Cincinnati, where Xavier is, and we, we used to talk, and I thought that'd be a great group to go into. And as I just was getting ready to sign the papers, I went home to talk to my pastor, who was a diocesan priest, Archdiocese of Detroit. And he said, what do you want to do that for? Um, because <laughs> he said, why don't you just become a diocesan priest? I said, I want to join a religious order. He says, the Glen Marys aren't an order. They're just, they're, they're like Marinol. They're just, they're, they're secular priests that just get assigned to diocese in poor parts of the, of the country. So I suddenly realized I wasn't joining a religious community, and I had an uncle who was a religious priest. He was not a priest, a religious brother, a redemptorist he belonged to. So I decided, what the heck, I'll just join the redemptorist and give it a try there. And that's how it happened. And I, honest to God, I, everybody always asks me uh, what I'm going to do next year, what I'm going to do the following year. One day at a time. I'm a priest today, and I'll be, try to be one tomorrow. That's as far as I go, one day at a time, and that's always the way it's been, and it's over 40 years now. Wow. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of us who go into the seminary, we think the exact same way, too. Very few of us go into the seminary knowing we're going to be a priest. That's, that was my story as well, just one year at a time. I said, okay, Lord, I'll give you this one year. We'll see what happens. And, you know, seven years later, I was ordained a priest, so yeah. I can relate to that story. I do have to ask, though, what uh, position in football did you play? I was a defensive back, and I was a flanker. Uh, actually, I was a running back in high school, but I, they moved me out to flanker in college and uh, played at Xavier for a year. Which which position did you prefer? Uh, well, actually, uh, they didn't give me much choice. I ended up being a flanker. Okay. So I played offense at Xavier. Nice. 
Awesome. So, as a huge Michigan fan, what was it like to be at the University of Michigan Student Parish? It's kind of interesting because I was actually, I'm a graduate of Michigan State University. I have a MUU. I have a master's in agriculture, strange as that may sound. But um, so I'd always go to Michigan State football games. In fact, they even had season tickets at Michigan State. And the next thing you know, I'm assigned to, to the University <laughs> of Michigan as their pastor. Well, as soon as I got there, I decided, you know, I'm going to be involved in this university. I must get involved at all levels. So I got very involved with the football team. And it was my first year was 96-97, and 97 was the championship year. Um, that was my first year with the university. And um, so I just, it was an interesting ride, I'll tell you that. I, I became very pro-University of Michigan. I still am to this very day. I spent 10 years there, so um, yeah, go blue. That's right. That's right. That's what I like to hear. You know, Tom Brady, you know, was one of the quarterbacks that was there at the time, and uh, he's still plugging along in the NFL. He almost quit at the University of Michigan. Um, my That 97 year, Brian Greasy was the... Um, that was the quarterback for that team. Tom was a sophomore in that year. He had appendicitis. He got sick. He almost gave up because he was a California kid. He wanted to go home. And it came It came to a hair's breadth of almost quitting wow. uh, at that point as a sophomore in college. And he stuck it out. And, and you were the one to step in and tell him, no, you got to play for the University <laughs> of Michigan, right? Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I talked with him, but I, didn't, I never did that to him, no. But I did... His grandma died that year. I said a mass for his grandma, and I just encouraged him to try it for one more year is all yeah. I did. He stuck with it. God bless him. It turned out pretty well for everybody involved, I think. Yeah. He never had that full limelight at Michigan as he did later in the pros. Mm-hmm. In fact, he wasn't chosen until the sixth round in the right. draft. Um, there, there was um, competition all the time at Michigan, so he was kind of platooned at times, and it, it was very discouraging for him. Sure. His whole time at Michigan was tough for him. So it sounds like you're, you were the linchpin then in securing those <laughs> New England Patriot Super Bowls. Is what uh, I not mean. really, but I did know Tom would be able to play Sunday football. Yeah. Even back then, I knew that. Wow. Now, as much as I love talking Michigan football... Um, let's talk about your, your transfer from there up here to Flint. How, how did that go, and, and what was it like for you coming up to Flint? Well, I was still a redemptress for many, many years. For 25 years, I was a redemptress. I, um, I was in Flint in 1996, 95, 96. Um, and I, at that point, I was transferring to the Diocese of Lansing for the redemptress because I founded an association of the faithful that now belongs to the diocese. And... Um, so I had some experience here in Flint, and I was also even as a redemptorist when I was going to the Uni- Michigan State University, I was helping out at Holy Rosary here in Flint. So I had a lot of Flint background. Um, Bishop Mingling um, was in charge at that point, and as I um, joined the diocese, he just said, you're going to go to Michigan, and there were some issues there, and uh, so next thing you know, I'm at the University of Michigan. I spent 10 years there, and then... I outgrew the place. I mean, the place outgrew me or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it, it got, we were having 10 Sunday Masses oh when goodness. the students were there. I mean, wow. I was doing four to five Masses myself every Sunday, wow. trying to get help to do it. Um, at that point, that's when um, I began, and I was by myself a lot of that time, although I did have a 
some help at times. And I had this Jesuit join me. His name was Dennis Glasgow. And he had a very bad heart attack. Um, he was studying at the Biblical and they ruined his studies. Um, and he was very fragile and he couldn't do a whole lot, but he said Mass for me. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I had a connection with the, uh, with the Jesuits. And I am um, at some point, we were, we were getting so desperate, I said to the Jesuits, are you interested in this parish? And they said they would be. And I had tried to get the diocese at that time to step up, but nobody wanted to do campus ministry at that time. And so Jesuits took over at that point. And then I was released as the pastor. And I, in those days, you had to bid. I don't know what they do now because I'm in near the end. I don't care where I go. But um, <laughs> I'm near, I, I had to bid on a parish. So I bid on uh, what was open at that time. And it wasn't Flint. Um, and so I get a call one day from Bishop Mingling. And he says, you're going to John Vianney. Nobody knows the pastor's retiring there. You can't tell anybody, and you're going to keep that school open. And that's how I got up here. So I came here in 2005 to Flint, and my objective was to keep St. John Vianney School open. That was my main, my main um, focus and goal. Um, but it really turned around fast in, in strange ways because uh, Flint was already... Buick City was closed when I came back here in 2005. The city was in deep depression, and um, it was going down fast. So in 2008, um, Bishop Boye comes in, and within a very short time, um, I find out one day I get a call from Bishop Boye, and he says, we're um, merging four parishes. We're going to merge John Vianney, St. Luke, Sacred Heart, and St. Agnes. That's half the city. That's, yeah. that's the wow. whole, whole um, west side of the city and all the way up north. Um, and so that merger happened, and then it became John Vianney Parish, which is, we kept the name John Vianney, but that is a merger parish, actually, of four parishes. Um, and then they threw in All Saints within a year or so. That was merged into us. So it was just, all of a sudden, five parishes, um, both trying to operate as one, so we had to begin to work out how we we're going to do that. Oh. Well, as a graduate of St. John Vianney, thank you for keeping the school open. And I seem to remember during that time, um, you had your idea for instead of keeping the name St. John Vianney, we would change the name and uh, and and make it a, a brand new community. Do you remember the name you floated out there to change the parish name to? No, I don't. What was it? You suggested very uh, vocally, we should change the name to St. Polycarp. Oh, yeah, he's my favorite <laughs> saint. I've been trying to get a baby baptized that name for years, <laughs> but nobody will. He was a great saint. But he was. They just, people get all upset when they hear that Polycarp, mini, mini carp or something like that. <laughs> it's, he's a great saint. He was an elderly man um, who... Um, could have just gotten off scot free, but they, they, he was he knew he had a great example. He had to show to his parishioners and to his diocese. He was a bishop, and so he chose martyrdom, at at the age of almost ninety, I think. Wow! So, yeah, great saint. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody went for that idea at all, including the bishop. He didn't like it either. So. Yeah, that's really funny you say that because I've been trying to convince my wife for forever that we would name our first child Polycarp. Oh, that's and she hasn't went for it either. Yeah, I'll give that kid a scholarship <laughs> if you do that. So that's where we're at. Yeah, good scene. Okay, so tell us about um, 
What's your vision for the Catholic community here in Flint? Well, if I back up for a moment, in 2014, the bishop came up here. And Flint, he knew was in trouble. And he said, we, doing the same thing over and over again is just, that's a sign of insanity. He says, we've got to do something different. So within a short time after that, um, he calls me up in December of 2014. So it's near the end of the year. And I had had two strokes, actually. I had two strokes in 2012. And um, so he called me and he says, I don't know whether you want to do this or not, but he says, would you be willing to be a pastor for, for Flint? In other words, we'd, all the parishes would come under you. Um, and he said, I'm hesitant to do it, being the fact that you had two strokes. And I says, that doesn't bother me any. I don't care. Um, and so I... I accepted the, the challenge, and uh, then in 2015, we, uh, we, we started the, the new concept that we have now in Flint. It wasn't immediately called the Catholic Community of Flint. It was basically all these parishes under, under each name. One of the things I had to do was is begin to try to organize and bring some of this all together. Um, there was other priests, young priests assigned to me, um, Father Zach, um, was with us, Father Jim, Father James, not Father Jim, he likes Father James, uh, Father Paul, who was just a deacon at the time and became was ordained within a year, and um, the guy in Pinkney, I can't think of his COVID. Oh, yeah, Dan, Dan COVID. God, sorry, Dan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had two strokes, Dan. <laughs> Anyways, um, Dan Kogut, and we lived together. That was that was real. That was kind of new in the diocese for a group of priests to live together. That was the first time that really has happened. That was that was part of really more of my concern than actually the parishes at the beginning is how how would this work? How could we do this? Uh, because diocesan priests, that, that's not living in community is really not not their their um, uh, impetus or their charism. It's it isn't. So to begin to do that was a big concern to me. Um, and within a short time, we had to begin to um, look at the fact that Flint continued to, in terms of numbers of Catholics to be going down. It just continued. And we had to have a different thinking, I, I began to understand. So we wanted to identify what are the audiences or what are the groups that um, we could evangelize because that's really where we're at, Flint. And we still are at that, Flint. We're in evangelization mode, and I think we're ahead of the diocese in understanding that fact of what that means. Um, and so we identified, first of all, campus ministry because we got Kettering University, we got Mott Community College, we got University of Michigan, Flint. So we got um, the, and at that time we also had Baker College, which is no longer in Flint. But so we had all these campus uh, campuses that we weren't getting really attended to. Um, that was one um, uh, population. The the reality uh, the other reality, even though there is a Hispanic parish, um, Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is just outside of town, um, over on the east side, over in the Saint Mary's area, there's also a huge Spanish population over there, kind of um, unchurched, um, and so we identified them as another population that we needed to get to. And then obviously the population that wasn't Catholic, but we I, we felt we had to get to, is the African American um, community, which is the predominant population of the city of Flint. Now there is a one African American church, and it's um, um, Christ the King, which also probably will come under us at some point. 
It is a, um, it is not a um, jurisdictional parish though. And so it, a lot of the community, it's a small black community because we really haven't done a real good job of evangelizing the black community. Um, so we've had to begin to think about how we would begin to deal with these different communities. And a lot of the Catholics that are presently in the parishes in Flint don't live in Flint. Um, and so um, we had to begin to think about how is this going to be um, a church in the future? And that's why we began to think about calling ourselves the Catholic community of Flint. And we began to think about ourselves in terms of our jurisdiction as the city of Flint, period. Um, and we're not, we're not, we weren't so worried about whether um, the person was Catholic or not anymore. We just said we would try to be of service to this community. In particular, the, the other thing that was happening at this time is that the elementary school was changing dramatically too. It had definitely been a parochial school when you went there, yeah. no doubt about it. But as, as the color change occurred in that school, and what we found more and more kids were no longer Catholic. And in fact, um, right now, it's, it's about 50-50. Um, we had to th consider what kind of a school is that? And so we began to think about the school as being actually a mission school for Flint rather than a parochial school. And that's really what it is. Um, and the children that go there, um, we really try to find ways to make it possible for them to attend that school because Catholics, we have to pay for it. And that's been a continuing reality ever since I've been here anyways, raising money, raising money for the school, keeping it open. Um, I could have been a developer, um, actually, <laughs> something else other than but I, I like to be in Garbage Man, too. But anyway, that's <laughs> not here they here they are there. Um, we had to begin to look at ways, different ways of being church. Now, what I did was is I was able to convince the bishop to keep that school going because we actually um, talk about your evangelization. That school is a, a great evangelization tool. We baptized and we've been averaging baptizing six to ten kids a year wow. in that in that school which brings those families in yeah. and it brings people into the church and then our efforts over and what and the other thing that we began to do is we established what we call a catholic workers community which was over at saint mary's on the east side and people began to walk the city and i like that because we I mean, if you think about it, the original gospel, you know, sent, Jesus sent them out two by two, and that's what we do. Nobody walks alone. Two by two, people walk the streets, they knock on doors, and it's we're not being Jehovah's Witness, we're not pushing <laughs> any literature at them. We simply are saying, we're the Catholic community of Flint, we're here. We'll pray with you, we'll try to help you with your needs, but we're not trying to turn ourselves into a, a service organization. Um, we're trying to get people to understand that what we want to do is, is unify the city of Flint in a, in a real concerted effort to take care of each other. And that's essentially um, our mission as, as a Catholic church is bringing people together. A Catholic means to be universal. And so the, the unity um, that we're looking for doesn't necessarily require you to be Catholic at first. And in fact, we're now beginning to recognize this finally in the evangelization process with the Alpha program, for instance. You can't just, you know... Um, just turn people um, into the, into Catholics overnight. It just doesn't work that way. And we're not trying to just, you know, convert the world to Catholicism. It's actually what we're trying to do is bring them to Jesus Christ. And if that happens, great. And that's what we're trying to do. And that's what we're trying to offer them. And 
in a certain sense also to be Christocentric in your own understanding of who you are, that you're giving Jesus Christ to these people. And that's what be, would be the main focus. It always has to be the main focus. Amen. That's beautiful. So we're now in these times of, of pandemic where the church, it's struggling to, to do everything you just mentioned. We're, we're struggling. You know, I, I teach at the elementary school and we've all got to wear masks and we've got to be six feet apart. And it's so difficult in this environment to, to do what the church wants to do. So how can we be the domestic church during these times? Well, the COVID reality has hit our parishes um, hard here in Flint. Um, those that are still coming to church because they're an elderly population. We have, we have seen a lot of I've done. I'm doing four funerals next week. We're doing averaging two funerals a week, and almost all these people are elderly. And at the beginning of it, in March and April, some of the people I were I was burying were a result of the COVID. Um, virus and it was kind of sad they were coming out of the nursing homes the nursing homes um, Pope Francis talks about covert euthanasia I mean when you see what we do in our nursing homes sometimes it's kind of sad it's yeah. these people are not getting the attention and the care they need and in fact I think a lot of people are, are, are elderly are dying because they're not dying necessarily from COVID as much as COVID, what I call COVID related they don't get the attention. They're scared to get the doctor to go to the doctor. They're scared to get out. They're isolated, and it has all sorts of um, deleterious effects against them. I feel really bad about it. What I think we got to do is, is first, first and foremost, is we got to overcome our fears. Um, okay, it's here. It's it exists. But as a Catholic priest, I can tell you, there's a lot worse things than death, and death is not the thing that scares me. Um, what bothers me is is that we're allowing this fear to, in some way, um, divide us, separate us, um, work against us in all sorts of ways. Even those who won't wear masks, they've got fear too going on. They got fear in terms of what's going on in the streets and stuff in the city. I mean, it's just there's there's just so much fear, and we've got to tell people. Um, first of all, as JP two said when he when he became pope, do not fear. Um, and um, do not be afraid, I think was his exact words. And those words are very important right now. we got to remind people of that. Secondly, um, we need people to come, begin to start coming back to church. Um, we, we didn't know what we were dealing with in March, and so we closed everything down. And we're, I mean, we now know if you wear a mask, um, you do alleviate a lot of the possibilities of it. We are having... Uh, services now masses here in Flint, and I I have not felt um, in any way compromised. Uh, for God's sakes, I'm 68 years old. I've had two strokes. Um, I've had to go visit the hospital and t take care of COVID patients who are dying or anoint them and stuff. For God's sakes, I'm still I'm still going. I mean, it, the point is is um, we have to keep our focus outward rather than getting caught up in, oh my God, uh, if, I, if I focus on myself, then I'm not going to go out the house. I'm not going to even go do what I have to do and be who I have to be. So the uh, first aspect of this is how do we overcome this fear? And that is prayer. Prayer overcomes fear. Knowledge overcomes fear. Those are the two things I think that are really important right now, prayer and knowledge. 
And so we need to be aware of what alleviates the, the possibilities of this disease. So for instance, we've opened our school. St. John Vianney School is open this year. We've done all the things we have to do That's right. to make it safe for those children. But I'm telling you, it's important that those children be in school. It really is, especially in a place like Flint. Um, they need that socialization. They need, well, they need the food and nutrition and things that they can get to us. They also need that education and they need that prayer and that faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and so this, um, this knowledge helps us in, to continue to alleviate this reality. I've, I think, when I think about it, started in March, I thought, oh my God, I don't think I'm going to last very long in this thing, and I'm still going. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, and I, the longer I live, the more I realize that's not the point. The point is, is um, the church is there for these people, and sometimes uh, we'll, we'll go out to them if we have to, but the church is there for, for them to come to, too. Um, an understanding that by coming to that church and seeing those other people with their masks on, sure, we try to do our social distancing, we try to do all the things that we can do, but seeing those other people is in some ways, I think, helping us to have that solidarity of faith, overcome our fears, and begin to just say, okay, we're going to move forward. Um, this isn't going to stop us from being who we are. Amen. Well, that's a, a beautiful word to, to end on. Do you have any final thoughts for us? Uh, I think the reality of Flint is something that uh, the rest of the country is going to have to come to grips with. As is this, I believe we're going to continue to see a declining Catholic population for a period of time. The reason for it being is, is I think we've gotten sort of comfortable and we've kind of bought the whole capitalism idea rather than understanding that maybe being Catholic is much more than just simply being even American. It is something more essential and it's who we are as beings. And so um, until we get back to that deeper understanding and we begin to recognize um, how the Lord operated and let, just go back to the Gospels and see what he did and realize that he reached out to the unchurched. The, he didn't care whether they were um, lepers. He didn't care if they were prostitutes. He didn't care. He just simply went out towards these people and gave them a comfort and gave them an understanding of themselves that they couldn't receive up until that moment. So evangelization is essentially that. And so um, getting more back to our roots in terms of serving the poor, serving the, uh, the people, the sinners, uh, understanding that reality of sin and realize that we all are sinners. Um, I just heard Francis, Pope Francis say a great thing the other day. He says, if you can't admit your sins, you are caught up in narcissism. And I thought, wow, that's right. Because you're, you're just self-justifying everything in your world. Um, we just have to understand we're a bunch of sinners. We're going to try to come together. And Jesus Christ is the, is the answer. And um, it is the answer. He is the answer. So... Um, we may get smaller in one way and another way. I think we're going to get smarter and we're going to be more authentic. Man, well, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.